Hello, you are listening to Getting After Lefty, starring Gary Gatehouse, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We have good questions on the show, like... Uh, Mr. Obama, sir, I have a, just a quick question, if I can. Um, I was wondering, you know, just uh, where... Uh, where the hell is your birth certificate? You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Friday edition, Anything Goes... And I'm your host, Gary Gatehouse, the preacher of conservatism. Hope you folks are doing all right wherever you're at in God's big, beautiful world. All you folks in Europe, all you folks in the UK, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, out there on the Pacific Rim, and all my brothers and sisters here in the United States, God bless America. Well, you know, everybody's kicking it off in the Carolinas and they're just uh, down there pointing a finger at each other and calling each other all kinds of names. And it gets rough when you get down to that area of the United States and you're politicking. And you got some professional politickers that are down there looking for your head at every opportunity. The Rubios and the Cruises and, you know, all those folks, the Kasichs and... Uh, and uh, they're all down there, and they're trying to get through to act together to try to tell the people in Carolina, look, I'm the best dude for the job. Vote for me. Check my darn 30-second spots out on TV and tell you the whole story. Then you got Donald Trump and Mr. Ben Carson. They're on the outside looking in. And they don't be doing no politicking as politicians do. They ain't had the training. They ain't going to be down there. Well, y'all know when I was up there in the Senate standing on that there Senate floor, by God, I was just introducing a bill with my colleagues across the aisle. They're my friends and colleagues over there on the other side of the spectrum, all them there Democrat senators. We all go out and have our cocktails after after this little session here of politicking's done. And we might go out there and rub our elbows with Megan Kelly or some of them other bright stars up there in Fox News and just have a good old time because, you know, we got them ignorant Americans all hoodwinked. They all, they don't know what's going on. We senators and people that reside up here in the House of Representatives, we got it all together. We control it all. And by God, it's taking us a long time to get there. Then comes this guy around knocking on the door, Mr. Tra- Mr. Donald Trump and Mr. Ben Carson. Hell, they don't know a thing about anything about foreign policy or politicking or how to kiss a Saudi Arabia prince's ass. They don't know any of that stuff. But us Democrats, and by God, Republicans, we all be progressives, socialists, communists, liberals, whatever, and be damned all them damned stinking ass conservatives that keep pecking at the door. It's about the way it is, you know, folks. All you folks that uh, claim to be of the conservative persuasion politically, life-wise, all you Christians out there, 
have been waiting for decades for somebody to come along and tell it like it is. Not to pull any punches, not to sugarcoat it, not to pat you on the back and tell you how good you are, while all along they've been looking for the biggest, longest knife, political knife they can find to stab you in the back as soon as you turn the other way. No, not them types. I'm talking about two guys, two cats, that have been working outside of the big political arena, been going about doing their job, making money, working under the capitalist banner. Mr. Donald Trump, he's a billionaire, and he's damn proud of it. By God, I would be too. I'm glad he's a billionaire. He's successful. Good on you, Mr. Trump. Mr. Do- Mr. Ben Carson, a very successful, highly successful, internationally known pediatrics uh, neurosurgeon. He came up from very uh, squalor-like conditions, being raised by a mama that couldn't even read. But look at this man. Soft-spoken, polite, articulate, smarter than a, you know, I don't know, he is so intelligent. But yet these two guys are demeaned and besmirched and made fun of and pointed at and jokes made of and called all kinds of names. And and uh, Mr. Ben Carson, he don't fight back in a boisterous type uh, way as Mr. Donald Trump does. Mr. Donald Trump is one of these guys, kind of like Teddy Roosevelt said a long time ago, if you screw with one American, you screw with us all. Mr. Trump says, if you screw with me, I'm going to bite back by God. So don't mess with me. Because I ain't going to roll over and let you scratch my belly. I'm going to come at you with both feet and hands a-flying. Now these two guys, Trump and Carson, are what I would call patriots, Americans. And I've said for a long time, the blue-collar worker, the middle-of-the-road American, the person who is uh, middle class or below, has been looking for a champion or champions for a long time that don't cotton up to the inside-the-belt way, way of looking at things, political or otherwise. Now, Donald Trump, he'll go after you. And if he knows he can get you, destroy you, by God, he's going to do it. And if you don't have the balls and the spine that fight back, well, you're done meat. You're finished. You're toast. You know, you look at a guy like Jeb Bush. You know, I used to know, all of us guys probably used to know a guy like Jeb Bush when we was in high school or playing sports. I played a lot of football and baseball in high school. And there was always a kind of a guy like Jeb Bush. He wanted to be a sports star, but he just couldn't do it. He wanted to play football and baseball, maybe basketball or run track, but he just couldn't do it. So he hung around with a class of people that didn't do those things. I don't hold anything against people that can't do sports. No biggie. But you have a guy like that 
that can't do the sports, but when he's in his whole circle of friends, well, I could have played baseball if I wanted to, but my mom wanted me to stay home and clean out the uh, sandbox. Or I could have played basketball or football, but uh, my dad said he didn't want me to go out there and ruin myself because he had better plans for me down the road. He wanted to be me to be a politician or something like that. So I'm going to hang around with you guys. But I could have been one. I'm just as rough and tough as they are. Ain't not mommy. Yeah, Jeb, you are. You're just as rough and tough as they are, son. You know, ladies and gentlemen, when you look at Jeb Bush, you look at a wimp. You look at a wuss. Oh, yeah, he's a father and he's got all the... So, well, most of us are. But there's different degrees and cuts of guys. And in guy talk, in the circle of guys, Jeb Bush would be labeled a wimp. And that's exactly what he is. He might be a more appealing to the feminine side. Who knows? But he's definitely a wimp. That's been established. Look at him. Then you look at uh, a guy like Rubio. I don't know what Rubio's background is as far as when he was raised, what he did. I know he came from a meager background. Who in the hell didn't? Most of Americans didn't. We came from meager backgrounds. Gary Gatehouse included. When I was a young guy growing up in the 50s, my parents didn't have a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of. We so poor. Didn't stop us, though. Didn't stop us. But getting back to Marco, Marco, or whatever the hell his name is, I think he's about toast. I think Marco's just about toast. Old uh, Christy put Marco in his place. He hit the nail on the head in that last debate. And I don't think Marco is ever going to recover from that. I think he's on uh, just about at the end of his rope. I think Jeb Bush is too. So it kind of narrows down to Trump and Cruz. Now, Cruz is from my home state of Texas. Ted Cruz not a bad guy. Ted Cruz, he'll tell you like it is. He don't pull no punches. He's kind of a soft-spoken guy, too. He's not as boisterous as uh, Donald Trump. I wouldn't have a problem with either one of those guys in the White House. It just so happens that I'm in favor of just a little bit more with Donald Trump. He impresses me. As though, you know, I've been looking for a long time, too, for somebody. After all these mealy-mouthed Republicans and that limp-wristed bathhouse-attending Barack Hussein Obama Jr., the silver-tongued devil from the south side of Chicago, after eight years of that guy and all his little wimps that hang around him, it's about time we get a real man up in the White House, a real woman as the first lady up in the White House. Either one of those guys, Trump or Cruz, Fantastic families, fantastic wives, fantastic backgrounds. Between night and day, their backgrounds are. Cruz, he, his home is where he hangs his political hat is in, inside the beltway. And he rubs elbows with all those politicians. Ted Cruz is a politician. On the other hand, what is really attracts me to Trump is he's not a politician. He's still feeling around trying to figure out the ups and downs, ins and outs, and how a politician 
is supposed to conduct themselves and act, and I hope the hell he never figures it out. I want him to stay the way he is. Somebody asking him a question, he's got an answer. Somebody wants to knock him in the dirt, they might do it, but he's going to get up and he's going to knock him in the dirt right back. That's my kind of guy. That's my kind of American. That's my kind of patriot. People are saying, well, hell, Donald Trump, he used to be a Democrat. Donald Trump, he's a heathen. Donald Trump uses foul language. Donald Trump this, Donald Trump that. And Fox News goes after him uh, every damn day, as much as they can. You know, ladies and gentlemen, getting getting off uh, track again, Fox News, like I said up on Twitter, Fox News, th- those people up there need to change their hair color. That blonde thing ain't working out much anymore. They need to bring in some new bimbos, maybe. Minus the blonde hair. There isn't one up there that I have any faith in at all when they start puking their fox paplum fair and balanced. We're here for the people. Bull crap. You look at the buddies at the, like, say, Megyn Kelly parades across the TV screen every damn night. Eight o'clock central time. All her buddies are inside the Beltway political hacks, inside the Beltway political operatives, inside the Beltway making a dollar, making a dime, making a hundred dollars, whatever, off the uh, reading of the tea leaves and the crystal balls for all those folks. Well, what's your analysis today? How far is Trump ahead of Cruz? Which one's going to say this? Which one's going to say that? How many more times is Cruz going to be in this town and Trump's going to be down here? Who do you think is going to win, huh? Who do you think is going to win? And that's a daily basis. Don't you folks get tired of that crap? They They start that up and I turn them off. I go watch Gas Monkey Garage or something. It's a sorry mess when we have a small cadre of people, the mainstream media, all housed on the East Coast, all influenced by inside the Beltway politicking, talking points, scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. It's a sorry damn day in, in the United States of America when they try their damnedest to select the President of the United States. But this time it's not going to work. American people are caught on to y'all up there inside the Beltway, all you mainstream media, including you, Fox. All your shenanigans of bearing balance and work concern, that ain't, ain't cutting it anymore. We're seeing through you. And like Roger Ailes said one time, the only true conservative on Fox News is Sean Hannity. That's it. That's it. Finished. The rest of them are rejects from other news media or whatever. All went through journalism school. Been taught, indoctrinated by their professors on the good buzzwords, bad buzzwords, socialism, communism, all that stuff. They know it all. They have their own ideology. And it hooks right up. With all of those folks, the political cartel, inside the Beltway, the political cartel, they used to be called Congress. Now they're just a bunch of guys assembled in one place. Sorry mess in the United States. Sorry damn mess. And I hope to hell, 
Donald Trump's elected. I really do. If not, Mr. Ted Cruz. One of those two. And I hope to help either one of them, whichever one gets elected, they knock those guys' ass out of their damn little ivory towers up in Congress. The political cartel. They have sold us a bill of goods for decades. And they ran up there and they rant and rave on how bad everything is in the United States, politically otherwise. And they're the ones that caused it. Nobody else but them. Well, I guess you could lay it at the feet of the voters as part cause for continuing to vote these guys back into office. I have a guy down here in my district, House of Representatives, Lamar Smith. He's been at it for 25, 30 years. He keeps calling my house and everybody else's house for a town hall meeting. I don't know how many people he gets together because I have on him. He's a Republican. In years past, I used to dutifully go in there to the ballot box and vote vote for Lamar Smith. He's nervous and never think a thing of it. Lamar Smith. He's had his time up there. He's always been a backbencher. And he's. Uh, it's time for him to move on. It's time for get to get new blood in. It's time to get new blood in the Republican Party. And we can start at the top. Donald Trump or Ted Cruz. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Friday edition. Anything goes. And like I said, I hope you folks are having a fantastic day wherever you're at in God's big, beautiful world. My God, it's so pretty down here in Texas today. Like I said, it's 85 degrees, blue sky, and it's just a no breeze, just, just a beautiful day. Kind of day that, that really makes it hard to even think it's February. But it is. 85 degrees. I might go to the beach. We'll be right back after the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Don't go away. Welcome to the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily look at the significant issues of our time from an experienced conservative perspective. Mrs. Schlafly is founder and CEO of Eagle Forum, a leading force in the pro-family movement since 1972. And now, here's Mrs. Schlafly. If President Obama has his way, the 140-nation conference on global warming excuse me, climate change, will have been the most consequential event of his presidency. If Obama's plans to reduce America's energy is allowed to go forward, it would go a long way toward fulfilling Obama's promise of fundamentally transforming the United States of America. The meeting of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change was held near Paris last year at a secure conference center overlooking Le Bourget Airport. That's where the great American hero, Charles Lindbergh, landed his Spirit of St. Louis airplane on May 21, 1927. Obama's tedious keynote speech, he droned on for many minutes beyond his allotted time, ignoring the chimes that repeatedly signaled his time was up. At another stop on his apology tour, Obama said, I've come here personally as the leader of the world's largest economy and the second largest emitter to say that the United States of America not only recognizes our role in creating this problem, but we embrace our responsibility to do something about it. 
Obama flattered the delegates that this is the moment. We finally determined we would save our planet. He claimed that our nation share a sense of urgency about this challenge and a growing realization that it is within our power to do something about it. Now, that silly statement was reminiscent of Obama's campaign boast, I am absolutely certain that generations from now we will be able to look back and tell our children that this was the moment when the rise of the oceans began to slow and our planet began to heal. Join us on our next program to hear more details about the latest EPA shenanigans. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Eagle Forum. Is global warming an imaginary threat? Is it authentic science or politics? Is it about the future of humanity or about money and power? At eagleforum.org, a blog with Phyllis Schlafly delivers the latest news and opinions. Add your comments to the Climate Change blog at eagleforum.org. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Liberty Council is a litigation, education, and policy organization established to preserve and advance religious freedom, the sanctity of human life, and the family. We have offices in various places around the United States and affiliate attorneys in all 50 states, plus a major outreach in the nation of Israel. Don't get discouraged about what's happening in our country and around the world. Get encouraged. Get on your knees in prayer and get involved. Stand with us in preserving our Judeo-Christian values. Visit lc.org. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back live at the National Butt-Out Finals. A.J. Langer is all fired up, and there he goes. It's out. He put his butt out in 2.6 seconds. Lori is with A.J. Lori? A.J., how did you get your butt out so quick? Well, I learned the hard way. I burned the house down. If you smoke, put it out all the way, every time. Smoking is the number one cause of preventable home fire deaths. Check out usfa.dhs.gov smoking. A message from the U.S. Fire Administration and firefighters everywhere. Hello, everyone. This is your Action News reporter with all the news that is news across the nation on the scene at the supermarket. There seems to have been some disturbance here. Pardon me, sir. Did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. I was standing over by the tomatoes, and here he comes, running through the pole beans, through the fruits and vegetables, naked as a jaybird. And I hollered over to Ethel. I said, don't look, Ethel. And it's too late. She'd already been in the scenes. All you folks out there used to streak the ball game, streak the streets, whatever. This song's for you. Look out! If there's an audience to be found, you'll be speaking it round, inviting public critique. This is your Action News reporter once again, and we're here at the gas station. Pardon me, sir, did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. I was just in here getting my car checked, and he disappeared out of the traffic. Come streaking around the grease right there. Didn't have nothing on but a smile. I looked in there, and Ethel was getting her cold drink. I hollered, don't look, Ethel! It's too late. She'd already been mooned. Flashed her right there in front of the shop. He ain't rude. Boogity, boogity. He ain't rude. Boogity, boogity. He's just in the mood to ride in the news. Well, you say call in the street. Boogity, boogity. He likes to turn the 
the cheek. He's always making the news. Wearing just his tennis shoes. Guess you could call him unique. Once again, your action news reporter in the booth at the gym covering the disturbance at the basketball playoff. Pardon me, sir. Did you see what happened? Yeah, see. Hey, Tom, I was just going down there to get Ethel a snow cone. Here he come, right out of the cheap seat, dribbling, right down the middle of the court. Didn't have on nothing but his head. Made a hook shot and got out through the concession stand. I hollered up at Ethel. I said, don't look, Ethel! It's too late. She'd already got a free shot. Ran stand. Right there in front of the hole. Hey. Is that you, Ethel? What do you think you're doing? Me, give us you get your cold dog. Ethel, where you go? Ethel, you You know how hard telling what you're going to hear in the Gary Gatehouse getting after Lefty show on Friday. He said, like I say, anything goes. You know, remember the days back when Streaking was the big deal. People were streaking football games, baseball games, basketball games, streaking down the street. That was what? Was that back in the what? 60s or 70s? Everybody was streaking. I wondered what would happen at a Hillary Clinton town hall meeting when she had that over the 65 crowd sitting in their chairs listening to her in her man voice. And somebody out the corner of the stage just streaked the whole audience. I imagine half of them have a heart attack. <laughs> but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, getting back to some serious stuff. It seems that uh, Huma Abedin, old Hillary's closer than a friend friend, is being subpoenaed. That's right. State Department investigators subpoenaed the Bill, Hillary, and Chelsea Clinton Foundation last fall and made sure to include former special government employee Huma Abedin in their crosshairs. Now, the State Department, the IG there, the Inspector General spokesman and representative of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, well, they had no comment. They had no comment, nothing to say after the story broke this last Thursday afternoon. At issue are projects the organization engaged in that may have required approval from the federal government prior to going forward. Now, news on the subpoena further undercuts the Democrat candidate's repeated claims that she never violated a subsection of the Espionage Act related to gross negligence in handling government documents during her time as President's lapdog. Oh, excuse me, President Obama's Secretary of State. Now, Ms. Hillary said just one week ago she was 100% confident that the Federal Bureau of Investigation into her home brew email server, that investigation would turn up no wrongdoing on her part. Why, heavens no! Ms. Hillary, she never does anything wrong. She's just a, a nice lady that's out there to try to take care of the American people, especially the young women. And if you didn't vote for her, there's a special place in hell for you. 
according to uh, Madeline Albright. Wow. All you young ladies out there, are you really going to sign on with some old pantsuit, worn-out hag from the 60s? And she's still holding on to that dream of being the President of the United States? Let's face it, she's not worth a dime, a hill of beans. She's not even qualified to be a dog catcher. But you know, FBI agents are also trying to determine whether co-mingling of the Clinton Foundation and State Department business violated public corruption laws. And I'm sure it did. I remember when I worked for the federal government as an intelligence operative, we couldn't even put a sign in our front yard, vote for Joe Blow as dog catcher. Couldn't do it. Couldn't be anything close to political ties with something like that. And you talk about corruption laws, public corruption laws. I think Hillary, once she is prosecuted, they're going to have to write a new book on corruption laws. She's going to have to, I don't know, maybe help them. She is so morally bankrupt and so corrupt that the book is going to have to, like I said, be rewritten. The laws. Now, a foundation representative for Ms. Hillary and the Clinton Foundation who spoke to a newspaper on the condition of anonymity. That's the word that everybody kind of hangs on to. Don't y'all be using my name. Now, I'm going to tell you some stuff about Miss Hilly. But don't you be using my name or my position. Okay? Yeah, we won't do it. So this uh, representative of the foundation said the State Department's initial document request had been narrowed by investigators and that the foundation is not the focus of the probe. The subpoena also sought records related to Ms. Abedin's work while she was employed by the Clinton's personal office, a private consulting firm linked to the Clintons and the State Department. Now, the Inspector General and the inquiries that were conducted could result in criminal charges. But the tools at the investigator's disposal are very limited. They can subpoena documents without gaining approval of a grand jury or a judge, for instance, but they cannot force the target of an investigation to provide testimony. Now, we all know with the Clintons got up there even under oath, they would lie out their ass. We know that. The media would protect them. The Democrat Party would protect them as they always have through the decades. And they would both walk, or she would walk, out of that court hearing smelling like a rose. But you know, both Clintons, Bill and Hillary, have denied accusations of wrongdoing. Well, naturally, they can't do any wrong. They're the Clintons. Former President Clinton officially ran the organization while Ms. Hillary served as Secretary of State. Now, Clinton lost the New Hampshire primary earlier this week to Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, the communist. And Ms. Clinton was just out out, uh, commied. Old uh, Bernie, the communist, got up there and Hillary's uh, communist 
platform is just a little bit too light. Bernie was heavy on the communism. And he went on to win by a landslide. Even though the self-described socialist slash communist refuses to talk about her email scandals, Sanders secured 60% of the Democrat voters to Clinton's 39%. And he's going to go down to South Carolina and kind of tack on to his momentum that he gained up there in New Hampshire. But let's let's face it. Oh, Bernie was robbed. He might have been a... Uh, he might have Her- Hillary on the campaign trail up there in New Hampshire, but old Hillary got back at him through the superdelegates. She came out of there with more delegates as a loser than Bernie did as a winner. <laughs> oh, folks, I tell you what, you talk about politics. You talk about the vote don't count anymore. You talk about the people of America who go in the voting booth and they look at all these people's names down here and they've been studying up on them and all this and they press the buttons and pull the levers and knock out the chads or whatever the hell it is, whatever way you vote, wherever you're at in the U.S. And then you look at what happened to old Bernie Sanders, the communist up there in New Hampshire. Another communist, his comrade, a comrade in arms, Hillary nuked him. She lost her ass up here, but walked out with more delegates. <laughs> it's funny. It really is funny. And it's that's the way it is inside the Beltway, man. How many of you folks that listen to me ever been up that way? I lived up there. I lived up there for the simple damn reason that my headquarters was in Maryland. So I had to live there when I wasn't overseas, which was most of the time. And when they told me I had to come back to Maryland, man, that was like I would have rather taken a horse weapon than go back on the East Coast. Now, I'm not going after all you East Coast folks because I know there are some very nice conservative folks up there. But for the most part, they are flaming liberals, ultra-liberal liberals. And ladies and gentlemen, all you folks that live down south, and all you folks that live in the flyover country, in the heartland, wherever, east of the Mississippi, let me tell you something. Every agency is housed, for the most part, headquarters-wise, in Washington, D.C., or thereabouts, right in that area. All the talking heads and representatives that go out or that are mouthpieces for the EPA or the IRS or Social Security or whatever, they are all East Coast liberals. All East Coast liberals. Now, I remember back just a little bit, back in the 80s, I was coming back from overseas. Hell, where in the hell was I? I was over in Europe somewhere. And I come back and I went to headquarters and there was a buddy of mine. He'd just come back a couple of months later, earlier. He'd been down South America. And he called me up one day and said, Hey, Gary, let's go to lunch. And I said, Okay, I'll meet you down to a place we always met in the hallway. And on the way down there, I met him. And all the way down to, to the lunchroom, here come these three guys walking towards us. And the closer they got to me, I just my jaw dropped. They were wearing turbans. This is in a highly classified intelligence agency. These guys were wearing turbans. 
Middle East guys. And I said, Jerry, what the hell is going on here? He said, oh, yeah. They've lightened the load a little bit, and they're letting these guys in here now. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it's even worse now. It's even worse. Obama has dropped the requirements for security security clearances. He's dropped the requirements. And there are people running up and down the hallways of the CIA, NSA, DIA that shouldn't be within 100 miles of that place. But that's the way it is in America today. That's the way it is in America today. We'll be right back. Well, looky here, a new listener. Hey, this ain't your little sister's radio station. You are listening to the Gary Gatos Radio Show. Here's a song that means a lot to me. I hope you enjoy it. Well, I remember... <coughs> Sorry about that. Let me catch my breath for a second. <coughs> well, hold on there. If you have a chronic cough, wheezing, emphysema, or other trouble breathing, you might actually have something more. COPD. It's the number four cause of death in America. Few people have heard of it, including those who actually have it. Take it away, Jim. COPD can be treated. A simple breathing test can help you find out if you have it. So talk to your doctor about COPD. Get the test. Start getting the right treatment. (laughs) Thank you very much. Learn more. Breathe better. Go to www.learnaboutcopd.org. A message from the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. If you're pregnant and you smoke, you need to know that your risk of your baby being born too small is one and a half to three and a half times greater. By quitting now, your baby has a better chance to be born at a normal weight and to have healthy lungs. But it's also important for you to stay smoke-free after your baby's born. For free materials on quitting or to speak to a quit coach, call the National Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Public Health Service. How you doing? You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. You know, folks, being Friday, and like I said, on this show on Friday, it gets kind of crazy and anything goes. Stay tuned for the second hour at the, at the Getting After Lefty Show. You're in for a real treat. So help me God. Don't miss the second half. Now, before, when we go to the second half, we're going to have to do a couple of things. And then we're going to fall right into this little tidbit, this little treat that I'm promising you. So don't miss the second half. You'll like it. It's nothing political. Nothing. And like I said on Friday, we kind of break away from politics as much as we can. We try to keep you informed. We try to be a little more lighthearted and a little more funny and active and, and this. I don't know, just like we're sitting across from each other at a bar or something, talking about our cars or our families or what. And we don't talk about politics, do we? Hell no. We hear a lot of that. 
And it's good to get out of that political mode. I know there's political junkies out there. I'm just, I'm one of them. But damn, every once in a while you got to walk away and get stuck into something else, right? Am I right or wrong? I think I'm right. And I think you folks out there enjoy a little lightheartedness, a little bit of uh, cutting up, if you will, acting crazy, acting funny, and not being all sober and all this other stuff of the world's coming to an end and doom and gloom and all this other crap that we hear every day. And I'm, uh, like I said, I'm the preacher of conservatism and I'm up here preaching it. I'm up here in front of this microphone every week preaching conservatism, preaching my heart out, have been since 2006, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel of patriotism, the gospel in the book of conservatism, the gospel in the book of uh, patriots. And what book that is that? That's the book that we all sign on to. And that is being the book of conservatism. Most of us who are conservatives are real patriots. Most of us who are conservative are also Christian. Most of us, if not all of us, who are conservative and Christian believe in our military, love our military, love our constitution, love our country. And right now we're pretty sad. Not sad, I would say mad. Pissed off would even be a better word. And we're just tired of being slapped about the head by the people in the Republican Party, slapped about the head from the people in the Democrat Party, slapped about the head by the people in the mainstream media. You know, and they make all kinds of statements about us that we're the ones that everybody should be watching. We're the ones that are on the fringe of being full-blown terrorists. We're the ones that cling to our Bibles and guns. We're the ones that we ca- that can't be trusted. We're the ones that people look at us with a jaundice eye wondering what we're going to do next. All you people that fall within those categories, hold on to your socks. You ain't seen nothing yet. This year, 2016, is going to be a year that all liberals... And all Marxists and communists and socialists and progressives and all you folks up there inside the Beltway used to call yourself Congress, now you're just a political cartel. You're going to be rocked back on your heels. The whole damn bunch of you. When the dust settles after the November election, you're going to be scratching your head and wondering what kind of storm just hit us. And that storm is us, the people, we the people. You know, the very same people you folks up there in Congress forgot all about. The very same people that you guys sit behind closed doors smoking all them big cigars and saying, now we got to come up with another way to make this all look good. And some way we can make the American people out there, we've got to hoodwink them American people and thinking they're getting in on something good, a big deal, man. And that's been going on for years. And sorry to say, most of the American people have been asleep at the wheel for a long time. But something happened 
in the last year or so that just woke everybody up, most of us up, from a long sleep. And we looked around and said, holy hell, what the hell is going on here? And all the repercussions of not paying attention, all the repercussions of not paying more attention to who's running the country and what they're doing to us, it finally hit us right between the eyes. And we're in the ditch looking up at the main road. We're so damn far down in the ditch Congress has thrown us into that we can't even see the main road. Oh, they're up on the main road. Up on some big ivory towers they constructed up there in D.C. And they're looking down their noses at us and laughing. Well, I got to tell you something. All you folks up there in D.C., District of Corruption, day's coming just around the bend. And that big old storm's a-brewing. And when it does, it's going to hit you people up in right smack between the eyes up there in D.C. And that storm is going to get bigger and bigger over the summer, rolling into fall and into November, and it's going to blow through D.C. like you have never seen before. There's going to be a whole lot of you holding pink slips, whole lot of you looking for other jobs, whole lot of you scratching your head and wondering, where in the hell did all my power go? I can't go have a cocktail with Megan Kelly anymore. I can't go sit down with all the folks up there at ABC and rub elbows and they can smack me on the tutu and I can smack them on the tutu and laugh and just chuckle on how we're getting over on the American people. After November, getting over on the American people ain't going to be happening no more. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. Friday edition, Anything Goes. Right now, you damn right anything goes. And here goes. Now this song's for all you parents out there. You got little ones, big ones, people in college, people in high school, preschool. This song's for you. Must have a code that you can live by, and so become yourself. Because the past is just a goodbye. Teach your children well. Their father's hell did slowly go by. Them on your dreams The one they fix The one you know by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they Oh, 
the fears that your elders grew by. And so please help them with your needs. They seek the truth before they can die. Your parents well, their children's hell will slowly go by and feed them on your dreams. The one they picked, the one you know by. Don't you ever ask them why if they told you you would cry. So just look at them and sigh And know they love you All you parents out there, my hat's off to you Raising kids in some real hard times You know, that song holds a lot of truth to it, doesn't it? And, uh People do feed on other people's dreams. I remember when I was a boy, there wasn't much to dream about or want. You know, we uh, we were poor, so my dad, uh, he worked sun up to sun down. We hardly ever seen him. He'd, he'd work sometime two and three jobs. Consequently, it was just me and my brother and sister and my mom at home most of the time. Oh, we'd see Dad sometimes when he'd come in a little early and have dinner and he'd off to go run the sweepers and the buffer up at the city hall to clean the waste paper baskets out and stuff. That was one of his jobs. Worked down at a pizza place on the weekends. That was another job. Whatever he could get. But he always made damn sure us kids had clothes on our back, food on the table, and a warm home. Not much of a home, but we called it home. But those days, you know, Americans were a lot tougher than they are now. We didn't have cell phones and we didn't have, hell, we didn't have any of the stuff we have today. Oh, I remember when we got our first television. It was a used one. And it was a great big old cabinet with a little bitty screen about the size of a fishbowl. And I remember seeing Rocky Marciano, the heavyweight champion of the world, fighting Ezra Charles. And my dad took that TV and put it out on the front porch. And the whole neighborhood come up and sat out there in the yard and watched that fight on that little bitty screen. Actually, what they was doing was listen to the commentary because it was, unless you was sitting three feet or four feet from that screen, you didn't see what was going on. But those were the days back then. Uh, my brother and I, we got hand-me-downs from my cousin. Him and his folks a little bit better off. So we got hand-me-downs from our cousins as far as clothes and stuff like that. And I remember one Christmas, I think I was in the eighth grade, and my folks got me a, back then the big fad was crew neck sweaters. I wanted one so dang bad. Come Christmas, I got one. It was a beige colored one. And you would have thought I would have got a 
a brick of gold. And I used to wear that thing to school. And I remember one time this girl named Joan come up to me and she said, Gary, is that the only sweater you got? You're always wearing it. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, Joan, as a matter of fact, it is the only sweater I have. But like I said, back in those days, people were tough. And uh, being that we were Catholic, sometimes me and my brother had to fight our way home because a lot of folks around where we lived didn't like Catholics. And they trained her boys and seek out and find Catholic boys and beat crap out of them. And we used to get wailed on all the time. And me and my brother, we'd get out of school at 3.15 and we'd be looking over our shoulder for the posse coming after us. And sometimes we'd have to fight our way, oh, I don't know, close to two blocks before we even could see the house. We were still fighting. That's the way it was back then. Bullies, yeah, there was plenty of bullies. But I remember my dad telling me, don't you come home crying to me that some guy beat you up. You You let him have it. And if he gets the best of you, you find some way to get the best of him somewhere down the road. Don't come crying to me. And that's the way guys were raised back then, for the most part. Now, little Billy come in crying and some bully beat him up. Dad or mom picks up the phone and hires a lawyer. Goes down to the school and has a big meeting and gets that bully going to send him to sensitivity cleaning, training and all kinds of stuff. Is this a different world? And that rugged individualism that, uh, oh, I don't know, Rush Limbaugh always talks about, uh, President Reagan used to talk about. Every, every generation, it seems rugged, rugged individualism becomes just a little bit more diluted to where now it's just about gone. Not much left in American society today. Not much at all. My wife was talking the other day, we we were talking about this thing about drafting women into the military. Now this is Friday, damn it. We talk politics. We're just talking. You and I, we're just talking. Well, me and my missus is talking about drafting women into the military. Now, I've got a young granddaughter who will be of draft age next year. And I've got, oh, I don't know, four or five, four, four grandsons, they're draft age. And I told her, I said, honey, you know, look, in today's world, the women, the older women, not the younger women, the older women, there's some young women, but mostly older women, women of the 60s and 70s, they're the ones pushing for all this crap. The feminists and all this. They don't have to go. They don't probably have any daughters or granddaughters that could be drafted. But then they have this thing going around where they want to put women in combat. I told my wife, I said, if they're going to put women in combat and they're telling the American people that these women out here are just as strong, upper body strength, just as strong to see their buddy's head blowed off and, and fall in their lap maybe or splattered up against them, whatever. If they're just as strong to put up with all that, God, men to the, men in my uh, time in Vietnam looking at it back then, we didn't want to look at any of that crap, but we had to. 
And it stayed with us. It stays with us forever. I don't want my granddaughter. I don't even want my grandsons exposed to it. But especially women. But this thing with the fairer sex and this thing with nurturing, that's all out the window. It's all out the window. Women can do whatever a man can do. By God, they push that every day. But they, the bottom line, they can't. And now I'm done not being some macho dude or something. I'm just looking at it physically, whatever. Oh yeah, you might have the ad, oddball woman come down the pike that can do some of this stuff. Guys can do physically. But for the old, most most uh, women can't. And I, that's where I come with drafting women. What are you going to do when you draft women? Are they going to be required to go into combat zones? Are they going to be 11 bang-bangs, combat grunts, soldiers? It just won't work. It just will not work. And back when I was a young guy in high school, and back when I was getting ready to go in the military, it was a completely different ball game than it is today. Completely Guys had their place, women had their place, children had their place, and that's the way it was. We knew what we were required to do as men, women were required to do as women, and the children just followed along, growing up along the way. That's all changed now. That's all out the window. But you know what? Being a guy from old school, being a guy that went through old school when it was new school, being a guy that was in the military from 1961 to 1969 and got out and went to work as a intelligence operative with a, one of the top two intelligence agencies until 1963, 1993, excuse me, being all over the world and dragging my family, being in a combat zone, being in a war zone, being in many war zones, I can truthfully say what I learned being raised up in the 50s went a long way in keeping my butt alive. What my mom and dad told me and taught me through example, etc. kept my butt going. And there was very few times in my life where I sat down and wrung my hands and said, Woe is me. It's all over. Turn out the lights. The party's over. My dad taught me, you don't do that. You get knocked down, you get off your ass and get back up. And get going. But that's all out the window today. Hell, we award kids, young men, young boys, for showing up to play baseball. Participation trophies. Back in my day when you played baseball, you played for one trophy, the winner. Like I said, it's all different in America today. And you know what? I'm glad I'm not a guy that has to be out there mixing it up with all you limp-wristed, spineless SOBs that still call yourself men. I'm glad I don't have to mess with you anymore. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show Friday edition. Anything goes. Now, we're coming up on the hour, so you know what that means. It means the five-minute news. And after the five-minute news, we're going to have some clear the air with a couple of things, and then I'm going to pass along that treat to you. I got a hell of a lot of emails. 
the last time I did this. They said, I want to hear these people again. So y'all stand by. We're going to take a break for the news. And on the other side of the hour, we're going to have some fun. Be right back. You're listening to The Gary Gatehouse Show. Gary will be back after the Fox 5-Minute News break. Please stand by. Fox News Radio, I'm Kathleen Maloney. A possible breakthrough in the Syrian civil war. Diplomats meeting in Munich agreed to work with Syrian officials to bring about a nationwide cessation of hostilities. This progress has the potential fully implemented fully followed through on to be able to change the daily lives of the Syrian people. Secretary of State John Kerry says there could be a ceasefire within a week and an immediate delivery of humanitarian aid to Syria. When the issues that are important to our constituents, Hillary Clinton has been there. Congressman Gregory Meeks delivering the endorsement of the Congressional Black Caucus PAC as Clinton and Bernie Sanders get ready for a Democratic presidential debate. Fox News Radio's Jeff Manasso joining us live from Milwaukee. Kathleen, it is the battle of the once-thought Democratic frontrunner and the man she lost to in a landslide this week in New Hampshire. Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are here at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee talking jobs, economics, and foreign affairs, and they're also expected to fiercely court the most loyal demographic to the Democratic Party and African-American voters as the next two contests set to much more diverse territory in Nevada and South Carolina where right now Clinton leads Sanders in the polls. Kathleen? Thanks, Jeff. Four holdouts at an Oregon wildlife refuge facing felony charges now after surrendering peacefully today. An armed standoff that lasted over a month is over. I've seen division in our community, division in families, uh, division amongst friends and neighbors, and divisions in our church congregations. Harney County Sheriff Dave Ward hoping the community can now heal. Stocks close lower for the fifth day in a row, the Dow dropping 255 points. You're listening to Fox News Radio, fair and balanced. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up, just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Another sign that a former New York City mayor is eyeing a White House run. Today's signal, Michael Bloomberg still wants to run for president. He's ordered a private national poll for the second time to see how he stacks up against Democratic and Republican frontrunners, according to a New York Post report that cites a New York Democratic operative as saying, quote, Bloomberg has a political infrastructure in place and sleeper cells ready if he runs. And somebody who knows a thing or two about independent White House tries, Ralph Nader, who did it twice, 
welcome to Bloomberg candidacy in an op-ed this week while warning the clock is ticking and that, quote, his biggest procedural problem is time. Fox's Peter Ducey in South Carolina, where there's a significant number of evangelical voters, one GOP candidate talking about religion and faith. It's the single most important influence on my life. And, and I think it's important for people to know that. I think it's important for people to know that. A lot of people ask me, you know, um, you know shouldn't, that, shouldn't you separate your faith from politics? And the answer is you better hope that I don't. Marco Rubio speaking at a Christian school in South Carolina. Get ready for a winter blast in parts of the country this weekend. This cold air is about to dive down across parts of the eastern half of the country, across the northern plains, the Great Lakes, and in towards the mid-Atlantic in the northeast. The worst of it, Saturday into Sunday. Then in towards Sunday morning, we have snow diving in the northern plains, and that becomes potentially a big ice storm for us across areas of the south. A little bit of time to look at that. And then we see a quick rebound across much of the eastern seaboard. Fox News meteorologist Rick Reichmuth, an Alabama congressman renewing a GOP push to allow drug testing of people who collect food stamps. Under current law, states are not allowed to impose new standards of eligibility for food stamps. I'm Kathleen Maloney, Fox News Radio. You are listening to the Gary Gatos Radio Show. Well, welcome back to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, second hour. A little cutting up there. Hello, Papa Giga. You know, folks, I told you we was going to have some fun in the second hour, and we are. I got some stuff lined up for you I think you'll enjoy. But first of all, on a little more serious note, I would like to welcome back Ricky Rasmussen from South Africa. This We have this lady. She's on the ground in South Africa. And she has been doing reports for our listeners, you guys, on what's going on in South Africa when you talk about the white folks over there and how they're being treated by the black South African government. And uh, Miss Ricky Rasmussen, I've told you before, it's not all uh, roses there for her. And she takes a chance every time she issues one of these shows that she does, informing the American people, because our, our, our news media is not reporting any of this. It's just not doing it. I don't know why, but they're not. So Gary Gatehouse Radio Show is. And without further ado, I'm going to bring back Miss Ricky Rasmussen from South Africa. That's where she lives. That's where the, the report originates. And you hear it exclusively on the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. Hi there, folks. This is Ricky with our voice, the voice of 
Webosa, a community organization registered non-profit company in South Africa, whose main aim is to obtain with passive resistance equal application of the Constitution of South Africa to all citizens, but more specifically the white minority, as the more than 100 black economic empowerment laws has been prejudicial to whites in South Africa, over and above the problems with crime and the general attitude of many blacks and politicians against whites in South Africa. Thank you for having an interest in South Africa and more specifically the plight of a white minority in South Africa. To understand the enormity of the situation of the white minority in South Africa, one first has to take into account that the white population of South Africa is about four and a half million as opposed to the known black population of about 45 million. The figures are not exact for various reasons, one being that our census system are not reliable for obvious reasons and secondly little to no border control and influx of illegal immigrants to South Africa who are mostly not accounted for. Worldwide there is turmoil and South Africa has its fair share of serious problems economically, politically, crime related and every other sphere of an ordinary citizen's daily life. With the start of our new dispensation in 1994, most of us were positive and optimistic and trusted that things will work out for the best. But citizens have been let down on a daily basis and many do not believe in the rainbow nation anymore. The only people that gained or that are happy with the current state of affairs, if they are, are the ANC cadres and everyone that benefit from corruption and the criminals because they roam the streets freely and law-abiding citizens are locked up in their houses behind high pyramidal fences, burglar bars, electric fencing and having to activate alarm systems and in the many instances having to be connected to armed response units and neighborhood watch organizations. Now for you that are used to live in your home without any fences, who are able to walk the streets without fear of being attacked, it should be difficult to understand how citizens of South Africa live under this crime-ridden circumstances. Fortunately, life has its cycles. Whatever was in fashion 20 or 50 years ago becomes fashion again. And for political dispensations and circumstances, the wheel also turn, and then I also believe in karma. One may go about illegally and feathering your own nest at the expense of others or from corrupt practices, but it will catch up on you one way or another. I just find it inexplicable that corrupt and or unethical politicians or people never learn that principle in life. South Africa is entering a new year with the winds of change for the better, I believe, being felt. I believe that the prayers of law-abiding, fed-up citizens are being answered slowly but surely. One of our main problems is our state president, Mr. Jacob Zuma, 
and then of course his party, the ruling party, the ANC. And I believe that Mr. Jacob Zuma and the ANC is beginning to see or feel the signs of karma. The wheel is turning for him and for them. Specifically, referring to Mr. Zuma, he will have to face two court cases in the next two months with the possibility of at least one other court case looming. I have dealt with the Mkandla issue previously. For those who are not aware, Mkandla is President Jacob Zuma's private homestead or farmstead in KwaZulu-Natal, which originally consisted of nothing more but a few reed bungalows and a very modest house, and which was renovated with taxpayers' money to the tune of 246 million rand at the time in 2014, and more has been spent since then. When this expenditure came to light, the matter was reported to the public protector, Tuli Madanzela, whose office investigated the matter, and her findings were that Mr. Zuma must pay back a reasonable amount of the non-security expenses for, inter alia, the swimming pool, the cattle crawl, the chicken run, the amphitheatre and reception centre. The amount was to be determined with the assistance of the National Treasury and the police service. Since this report was released, Zuma has done everything in his power to disobey the directives of the public protector and the ANC and Zuma basically acted as if the findings of the public protector is not binding. President Jacob Zuma was steadfast in his opinion that he was not liable to pay a cent as he did not personally order the renovations to his private rural home, nor was he aware of the amount spent according to him. This was, however, a blatant lie, as it's impossible for anyone with a fair amount of intellectual skills not to realize the extent of the renovations and the cost thereof. But Jacob Zuma also complained about the slow progress of the project, and it's impossible that he would not have visited the homestead over this long period of time that the renovations took place and that he would not have been aware of the extent of what was going on there. Furthermore, the architect and many people involved with these renovations were friends of President Zuma. Police Minister Nati Mukleku exonerated Jacob Zuma in a report on May the 2015th, and he went through a tedious task of trying to convince South Africa that the swimming pool was a necessary security upgrade, calling it a fire pool, as it could double up as a tool to fight fire on the premises. Following this report, the opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, brought an application to the Constitutional Court asking the Constitutional Court to rule that Zuma has failed to uphold the law by flouting the uh, public protector's directives. The Economic Freedom Front, another opposition party also applied to the Constitutional Court for basically the same order, and the public protector joined issue with the DA and the EFF. In a turnabout last week, President Jacob Zuma sent a letter to the Constitutional Court asking 
for it to confirm his draft order based on a document drafted by the Department of Public Works in 2011 and call for the Constitutional Court to that this document of Public Works with a costing of about 10.6 million to be used as a point of departure by officials nominated by the Auditor General and National Tre Treasury to work out how much he is liable to refund and then he will refund that amount of money. This is significant in view of the fact that to date he has denied that he owes any amount of money. And in view of the uh, report by the Minister of Police that he does not have to pay anything back. The DA, however, did not accept this offer, nor did the EFF. The DA stated that the costing was outdated and that it did not cover the luxuries added to the homestead. They stated that the 10.6 million was an amount that was accepted at the time, that is in 2011, that Zuma would have to pay for landscaping, lighting and building. The cost, however, went viral and building continued thereafter. The DA had a further problem with Jacob Zuma's offer, asking the Constitutional Court to make an order. When Zuma argued that the Constitutional Court was not the appropriate forum to deal with this issue, Zuma acknowledged this anomaly but stated that it was in the national interest to put the Nkandla issue to rest. Personally, and based on the history of this and other matters where the um, president is involved, I believe this letter or offer was merely a delaying tactic as the carders will merely delay the decision again or determine the amount due so low that it will not be acceptable to anyone except Mr. Zuma. It is in the interest of justice that the Constitutional talk, uh, Court take a strong stance and make a ruling on the status of the Office of the Public Protector and its findings and directors. It is of utmost importance for justice in South Africa that the public can rely on investigations and directives of the Public Protector. This matter will be heard in the Constitutional Court on Tuesday, the 9th of February, 2016. We are all waiting in suspense. This application by the DA and the EFF is the second blow for Jacob Zuma in the last two months that we are, or that I am aware of. In December 2015, South Africa was in the news Again, for the wrong reasons, when Jacob Zuma removed the Minister of Finance, Mr. Nenny, and replaced him with a Mr. van Ruen, who was certainly not the right person for the position, but obviously had been placed there to favour something that Mr. Zuma wanted. Our rand dropped drastically and the stock markets plunged. And within two days, van Ruen was removed and replaced my Mr. Proven Gordon, which is a much better move, but still the decision to remove Nanny was inexplicable and still not explained. Zuma said that he intends um, using Mr. Nanny for a position with the Briggs Bank, but Mr. Nanny also must, must have been very upset about this decision by Mr. Zuma 
because he resigned in December after this took place. But this resignation was only made public yesterday to citizens of South Africa. The DA has a further application against the National Prosecuting Authority to challenge its decision to not prosecute Jacob Zuma on numerous corruption charges. This application will be heard in the Pretoria High Court soon, probably in the next two, three months. This matter will eventually also have to be determined by the Constitutional Court, but the DA is positive about the outcome. I also believe that there is more than enough evidence to prosecute Jacob Zuma. If the decision is adverse to Jacob Zuma, he will have to face criminal prosecution and it will have significant effects on politics in South Africa, more so because we have municipal elections this year. President Zuma has also been served with a letter of demand by lawyers of the Transvaal Agricultural Union of South Africa on behalf of farmers or whites following his recent statements that South African land was stolen from black people. The Transvaal Agricultural Union indicated that if Jacob Zuma does not apologize and retract the allegations, they will take him to the Equality Court. The content of their letter to President Jacob Zuma has been published and it states, We refer to your speech delivered at the National Executive Committee on the occasion of the 104th anniversary of the African National Congress on the 8th of January 2016. Notwithstanding the written prepared speech, you deviated therefrom and made the following statement, which is of grave concern to our client. Quote, Comrades, the challenges of poverty, inequality and the unemployment have their roots in the vast tracts of land that was stolen from the indigenous people of South Africa. Close the brackets. Allegations about land that had been stolen in South Africa, together with other allegations which you have made referring to Jan van Riebeek and similar statements, have led our client to believe that yourself and the ANC are intent upon discriminating against whites and in particular white landowners. This also appears from a further statement you had made, namely, inverted commas, South Africa's history of apartheid and colonialism characterized by racial hierarchy and systematic institutionalized conquest and disposition of the indigenous people of this country is directly related to our current challenges of unemployment, poverty and inequality. Close the brackets. We do not deny the effect that colonialism and apartheid has had on South African society. However, our client has a serious problem with the allegation that vast tracts of land in South Africa were stolen from the indigenous people of South Africa. This is factually and historically simply incorrect. Firstly, all the landowners of South Africa have not stolen such land, but have lawfully purchased the land that they own. That has been the case in respect of most of the land in South Africa for at least a century. 
The allegations made by you and the ANC are made with intent and in your handbook to convey that white people who own land are thieves, whites who came to South Africa were thieves, criminals and robbers, whites in South Africa stole land without remuneration or agreement, and all black tribes were indigenous to South Africa when whites arrived in 1652. We have instructions to request from you and the ANC an unconditional apology to all landowners in South Africa and to white landowners in general for the hurtful, harmful and hatred-infused statement you have made. We advised our client that the statement was made with a clear intention to be hurtful, to be harmful, to incite harm and to promote or propagate hatred against white landowners. This constitutes hate speech in terms of Section 10.1 of the Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act No. 4 of 2000. Should yourself and the ANC not prepared, be prepared to furnish an apology, our client will have no alternative but to take the matter to the Equality Court for the necessary relief. The Presidency has not yet replied to this letter. However, a spokeswoman for the ANC, Gisela Sangoni, said Zuma had communicated the views of the ANC that the land was taken illegally from the African majority. The land was illegally taken from the African majority, whether you use the word stolen or any other word. It does not change the facts, she said. Now we will see in the near future, near future, if Zuma and or the ANC survive the blunders of Zuma and his cronies. The next three months will certainly indicate where South Africa will go from here on further and whether we will soon have a new um, ruling party or a new dispensation. I will keep you posted in following up um, reports and I hope that you yourself also will read up about South Africa and acquaint yourself with the circumstances that we have to live with. Thank you for listening and enjoy your evening. Thank you, Ricky. And remember, folks, you can hear the uh, Our Voice Report exclusively from South Africa with Ricky Rasmussen on the Gary Gatehouse Show each week. We'll be right back. Heart disease is the number one killer of men and women in America. But did you know that just 30 minutes a day of physical activity can improve your health and decrease your risk of heart disease? An easy way to work physical activity into your regular routine is to start walking. For every hour of regular, vigorous exercise, you gain two hours of life expectancy. So start walking for yourself and for your heart. Start walking with your family. You'll feel better. Start walking with your friends, you'll live longer. Start walking in your community, you'll lead happier and healthier lives. Start walking. Start something. Join the movement today. For more information on the American Heart Association START program, visit startwalkingnow.org. And start walking. Start something. There's no place that I'd rather be than right here with my redneck 
White socks and blue ribbon beer. This is Billy Bob with Billy Bob and the Carl Show. And I'd like this to give a little shout out to my friend up there in New Jersey, Mr. Trade Martin. You know, that guy's got more talent than, I don't know, 15 people. He had more talent than I ever had. I don't have any, to tell you the truth. You got it all. But anyway, Mr. Trade Martin, his Wednesday radio show, you gotta tune in. Trade Martin says a lot of stuff about a lot of things that makes a lot of dang sense. So all you folks up there on the East Coast, the West Coast, way down there in South, and even down here in my home state of Texas, make dang sure you tune in to Trade Martin, that silver-tongued devil from up there on the East Coast. This is Billy Bob signing out. See you on down the road. And Mr. Trade Martin, you just keep on it trucking, partner. You knocking them dead everywhere your voice lands. Adios. There's no place that I'd rather be than right here with my redneck, white socks, and blue ribbon beard. Hey, Billy Bob, thank you. Man, that's a great promo you did, and I really appreciate it. You know what? You got a lot of talent, buddy. A lot of talent. And don't let anybody ever kid you. Forget about my talent. I was very lucky. Be in the right place at the right time. That's the main thing. You know, the rest of the stuff, everything else is jive. You know, if you're not in the right place, if you don't know the right people, you can have all the talent in the world. Forget about it. But listen, thanks a million for your many accolades you gave me. I think you get a lot of your talent from those white socks and that blue ribbon beer. <laughs> blue ribbon beer. Billy Bob, you are the best. Say hi to call for me. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, folks. I told you we was going to have a little fun. Now, these guys have been bugging me all week to get back on the air since they don't have the gumption to do it themselves. So here's Billy Bob and Carl speaking out to the world on what they think about politics and this stuff in general and such that's going on down here in South Texas. Have a listen. Well, if you can hear this voice, that'd be my voice, Billy Bob, and we're getting ready to do the Billy Bob and Carl Show. Got a lot to talk about today, so hold on to your bootstraps. Here we go. Coming out of shoot number nine, right Bronco Billy is Billy Bob and Carl. And folks, like I said, we got a lot to talk about today. But you know, before we get into talking about Obama Llama Ding Dong and all those funny dudes that live up there on that funny side of the United States up there in Washington, D.C., I got a little story to tell you that uh, we was talking about the other day, me and Carl. And, uh, I just remembered this story, and I thought you all would like to hear about it. Now, it wasn't too long ago that me and Carl and our missuses decide we was going to go down and watch us a Little League baseball game. That's right. And so we all loaded up in our pickups, and we all just trucked on down. It was about ten miles down to the Little League baseball diamonds. There was like four of them down there. And we picked out the team we thought we'd really like to watch. They had the best uniforms, and they was looking like they knew how to play a little bit better baseball than the rest of them little kids. So we was sitting down there, and there was a big old pile of people next to us that was all rooting and yelling for this one team. 
And I heard one guy told another guy, he says, I'm going to go out and get me that, a big bag of, of those you-know-whats. Me and old Carl kind of looked at each other and he said, what the hell are you-know-whats? But anyway, all those folks up there in the stands, that big pile of folks starts yelling, well, bring me back a bag of you-know-whats. So that guy went around and got all the money and there was a concession stand, a little concession stand. Down next to the next ball diamond. So that guy and his buddy, they took off down there and he had this great big empty box they was carrying with him. And they went down there and about, oh, I don't know, 25 minutes later, here they come back. And they had this box, this full of brown sacks. And he started handing them brown sacks out to all them that big pile of folks that were sitting up there in the grandstands by us. And folks, these sacks were just dripping with grease. Just, just dripping with it. Carl and I looked at each other and I said, what the hell is that stuff they're getting ready to eat? Well, Carl went over and asked that guy. I said, what y'all eating in them big old greasy bags? guy said, well, who in the hell wants to know? And Carl said, well, I just was curious. I seen you carrying all them bags in that big box, and I was just kind of curious. Maybe it was some kind of food I'd like to try out. Well, the guy said, i tell you what, bud. This here uh, bag's this full of chicken gizzards, deep-fried chicken gizzards. Carl said, I ain't never tried any of those. Are they any good? And that guy says, you don't know what you're missing. Do you eat a big old bag of these chicken gizzards? So Carl said, okay. And the guy said, oh, by the way, bud, you know, where we get those chicken gizzards down there by that other ball diamond, that little concession stand? He says, that guy sometimes puts a surprise in those bags. Not all of them, just a few. And by God, when people get that surprise, those, you know, they protect them like they're gold. And Kyle, Carl said, what the hell is those surprises that are so important and so uh, worth, you know, whatever, they go fighting over them. And the guy says, you damn right would fight over them because they is something you just don't get every day. That guy makes them right down there at that concession stand. Well, Carl come back over and sit down next to me, and he relayed all that information to us, and we was sitting there, and we was just wondering what the hell that surprise was that some people got in their bags. Well, just about that time, there commenced a fight over there in that big pile of people that was been uh, eating all them chicken gizzards, and this guy was standing up there, and he was facing all them other people, and he was yelling at them and screaming at them. And, and they was screaming back at him, and I heard him yell, I got a knife, and you all try to check, check, uh, take my chicken hearts away from me. I'll kill you. By God, I'll kill you. Carl looked at me and said, What the hell? So after everything all calmed down, Carl went over there and asked that guy to talk to you before. He said, what the hell was that all about? He said, I told you. 
Second, that guy got a got a surprise in his bag, and he was the only one that got one out of all this big pile of people here that bought them chicken gizzards. He got the chicken hearts all fried up real nice. He said, those are like finding gold. I said, yeah, but he pulled a knife on y'all. Guy said, yeah, I know it. He said, about a month ago, a guy pulled a gun on us because he thought we was going to take his chicken hearts away from him. And I said, I don't know about you folks. He said, I'll tell you what, son. Until you sit down and have a mess of them chicken hearts after you polished off a couple of pounds of chicken gizzards, why, by God, you ain't tasted nothing. And it's worth fighting for. And I said, well, I guess so. I said, I heard tell one time of a group of people that got together and they had something I bet you all never had. And they said they was just, they just tasted like, I don't, just fantastic. And that guy said, well, what the hell were those? Carl was playing a joke on this guy. He said, well, I heard you say that those chicken gizzards were good and those chicken hearts were out of this world and worth fighting for. He said, but I know a guy over in the next county that cooks up something that would make all those two things just taste like pieces of paper or something. And the guy said, well, by God, we'd like to know what those are. We'll go get us some. Carl said, well, have you ever heard of deep-fried chicken lips? And that guy looked at him. He said, deep-fried chicken lips? Carl said, hell yeah. That guy makes them over there every Saturday night right before the dance. Over the next county, over the dance hall. The guy said, you sure? What the hell are chicken lips? Carl, Carl said, that's exactly what they are. They're chicken lips. He deep fries them and you would not believe the taste. Well, that guy said, I'm going to have to go get me some. He started to walk away and Carl said, oh, by the way, by God, when you get down there and get you a big old greasy bag of them chicken lips, he said, I just got to give you a warning right now. You be damn careful how you put them in your mouth. There's a certain way you eat those. Because if you don't eat them the right way, them chicken lips will pick your lips and nose to death. <laughs> this is Billy Bob, and we'll be back. We'll be back with some more talking and some more funning after you hear this here message. And I know you're just wait waiting. You can't stand it anymore. You got to hear about Carl's buddies and my buddies down there at the pickup place. So you listen to this guy and we'll be right back. This is Marcus down at the City Hall Bar, the bartender. And I'd like to tell you, we'll be sponsoring that Billy Bob and Carl show, them crazy dudes, to come in here and tore up my bar last Friday night. And I'm telling them there cowboys, if they want sponsorship from City Hall Bar, they gotta behave themselves. I'll tell you what, this week's sponsorship money's coming out of their pocket. I ain't sending it till they pay for them chairs, they broke. And all you folks that listen to them crazy cowboys, you're welcome at my bar anytime. 
You know, folks, that uh, guy, Rufus, that runs a city hall bar and dance hall down there, sometimes that guy gets under my skin. He really does. He starts a screaming and yelling at us as soon as we walk in the door on Friday night, telling us not to tear up his tables or dig our spurs into his dance floor. He always tells us to sit over there in the corner by the men's restroom, away from everybody so we don't ever get noticed by a bunch that comes in from San Antonio that always wants to pick a fight. Well, by God, Carl and I never back down from any fight, especially when those guys come rolling in from San Antonio on those old big brand new fancy pickups. And they come in here and try to hit on our wives and our girlfriends and all us, our fellow guys, ladies that live down here in the county. We don't go for it. And old Rufus, he knows we'll fight a drop of a hat. So like I said, he sets us over there by the men's restroom so nobody will see us. And me and Carl and our wives sit over there and check everything out. But we're right next. Just to go around the corner a little bit, and we're right there on the dance floor. So it, ain't, it don't bother us at all. And those guys from San Antonio, why, they just leave us alone. They've got their butt kicked too many times. Come over and bug us anyway. But I've told you before now, it's not them guys from San Antonio that we're worried about. It's them women that come in here from that hairdressing shop. They come in here and take over the whole damn dance hall on Friday and Saturday night. Every Friday and Saturday night. They come sashaying in here in those little short skirts and cowboy boots and hair all puffed out. Chewing on gum and smoking cigarettes and talking like fancy city folks. Well, all these country boys out here, they just go crazy. I heard tell there's two or three guys that left their wives out here. Go in there and get hooked up with them San Antonio women. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. My God, these women out here in the county, they work their butts off. And they're good wives. But I heard those guys dumped them, went in San Antonio chasing all them beauticians in there that wear them short little skirts. But I have to admit, they're pretty good looking. Pretty dang good looking. You know, like they say, it's a pleasant sight for sore eyes, that's for sure. And boy, can they dance. My God, can they dance. And there's one lady there. Her name's Lucille. And I heard tell that they wrote a song about her. She was so rotten to the core, they wrote a song about her, that lady Lucille. And I went to searching, and by God, I found it. So here you go. And I'm going to play it, and you'll know exactly just how those ladies are and how they conduct herself when it comes to their men. Have a listen. In a bar in Toledo, across from the depot, on a bar stool she took off her ring. 
thought I'd get closer, so I walked on over. I sat down and asked her her name. When the drinks finally hit her, she said, "I'm no quitter, but I finally quit living on dreams. I'm hungry for laughter and here ever after. I'm after whatever the other life brings. In the mirror, I saw him and I closely watched him. I thought how he looked out of place." Sat there beside me. He had a strange look on his face. The big hands were calloused. He looked like a mountain. For a minute, I thought I was dead. But he started shaking. His big heart was breaking. He turned to the woman and said. Pick the fine time to leave me, Lucille. With four hungry children and a crop in the field. I've had some bad times, lived through some sad times. in the field and his heart was breaking and she just left him. She just flat left him. Now she's out here at the city hall bar dancing around every Friday and Saturday night looking for some other guy to break his heart. Well, you know, I... If there was ever a law that for breaking a person's heart, she had been arrested a whole bunch of times. Because I hear a bunch of guys talking about her. They all say that she leads them on and gets them all riled up and all hyped up. And first thing she wants to know when they get to a certain point in their relationship is how much money they got. 
how much land they own, what kind of cars do they drive. And if it ends up those fellows, then most of them, they ain't got a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of. Why, she just breaks her heart and moves on. And I gotta admit, Lucille's a looker. She's a looker and a fast talker. And that song just about tells it all about her. I'm gonna have the darn guy up there that plays records when the band takes a break to play that song. And I'm gonna say, dedicate this here song to Lucille. See if those boys down there that hang around her all the time kind of wake up. Lucille, is this about you? Sure sounds like it, don't it? But anyway, old Carl and I, we got to talking about Lucille, and we got to talking about all those people, that uh, those women and those hairdressers. And he told me a little story. Because you see, Carl's wife works down there sometimes part-time. She's a hairdresser, and she drives all the way into San Antonio and does people's hair once in a while and gets money for it. He says, you know, Billy Bob, here about three years ago, me and my missus got all mixed up with those San Antonio hairdressers. We got to be pretty good friends with them. And he said, one night they all decided that the following weekend that we were all going to take a big old trip down to Mexico. Go down there and raise cane. So me and my missus, we is all excited about that. Because they's going to come out and pick us up in one of them great big old mobile homes. You know, the kind you drive and great big long things. They called it their party bus. So sure enough, that next weekend, this old Billy Carl was telling me this, they all come out and pulled up next to the house, and we was all ready to go, had our little overnight bags packed and all that, and we was going to go down and do some partying. This is old Carl telling me this. So they got on that party bus, and they took off lickety-split down the highway, heading towards the border, and they was drinking and raising cane and yucking it up and having a lot of fun. And they got down there at the border. And Carl says they went on through the border when that uh, party bus. And they parked it over in the parking lot. And they commenced to go down to all these different bars. This one bar after another. He said, Billy Bob, he said, you could be in one bar drinking and slip and fall and fall out the door and land in another bar. That's how close they were. He said there was people everywhere, people drinking, people puking, people cussing, people chasing women. He said it was a manhouse. He said those uh, hairdressers, those beauticians, why, my God, they were down there and they acting like a bunch of fools. And we was right there in the middle of it with them. And he says, as the diet went on and drew into the morning time, about three o'clock in the morning, me and my missus were wore out. We wanted to go back 
to the party bus. So all of them got together and said, no, let's go have this one more drink before we go back to the party bus. So we went to this place, I don't know what it was called, the B-52 Club or something like that. And we went in there and we commenced to having a drink. And before you know it, we was having another drink and uh, all those Mexican bands started playing music. And before you know it, it was daylight. Well, hell, me and my missus ain't stayed up drinking and raising cane like that till daylight for since we was well, 20 years old. So we started back to the bus, and we was pretty well tipsy drunk. About halfway up the road to the bus, this policeman, this Mexican policeman, come up to us, and he says, We want to see your papers. I said, I ain't got no papers. I don't... I don't have no papers. What do you mean, papers? Newspapers or what? He said, no, I want to see some ID, senor. So Carl said, well, all I got for an ID is this here Texas driver's license. And my wife, she's got hers, and that's it. So we showed them that. And they said, we're going to have to take you all to jail. I said, why? We ain't doing nothing. He said, well, there was a big ruckus down at that bar you just come out of. A bunch of women down there jumped beat up on a another girl and all kinds of stuff. And you come out of that bar and you're American and they were American. We're going to take you to jail till we get this all settled. So they took us down to the calaboose and threw us in there. And there was all those beauticians in there still drunk and laughing. and They didn't care. They didn't care if they was in the calaboose. Mm-mm. One of them said, this ain't the first time I've been in there. This ain't the first time I've been thrown in jail down here. It don't bother me at all, she said. Well, Billy Bob, I tell you, we just sat over there in the corner. And we just kept our mouth shut and seen what all these people were doing. And they were crazy. About 10 o'clock that morning, this guy come around with a suit on, and he said, All you American folks over there, all you women and that that guy there, I want y'all to come out here and sit down around this desk. So we all went out and sat down around the desk, and he said, Now, last night, you all went into this B-52 bar, and this bunch of you jumped up on top of those girls and started beating them up. And by God, we don't like that stuff down here. We run a tight ship, he said. He said, you're going to have to leave, and we don't want you ever back down here again. We know who you are, and they took our pictures. They did, like mug shots. We felt like criminals. And he said, we'll be checking. And if we see you back down here across the border, you ain't going to get out of jail next time. And me and the missus, we just shut up. We didn't say nothing. Those beauticians were cussing at that guy and giving him the finger and telling him to go get jumped and screwed and all kinds of stuff. I thought, I told my missus, they're going to get our butts thrown back in jail. We ain't never getting out. Lady Jimmy, you don't want to be in a Mexican jail. That's for dang sure. I told Carl, my God, Carl. My God, Carl, 
You just about got yourself in a big heap of trouble, didn't you? And he said, yeah, Gary, I did, but we got the hell out of there and we got in that party bus and we lickety split back up the highway. Got back up at the house and those girls said, we'll see you tonight since we didn't get to spend the whole weekend down in, in Mexico partying. We're going to be out here to the city hall bar tonight. We'll just resume what we started last night. Me and my missus looked at each other and we told them, we said, <laughs> Y'all come out, but you ain't going to see us. We don't think we're going to be coming out to the city hall bar tonight. And we might not come out for a while. So they just said, Okay, we don't care. We're coming out here and raising hell. And by God, they did. Me and my missus seen them out there. So I guess the moral of the story is if you live out in the county out in the boondocks like we do, you know we live so dang far out here they got to pipe in the sunlight in the wintertime. But if you live out here in the boondocks and you're just country folks, and every once in a while you have a, a place you can go dance or whatever like the city hall bar and it gets invaded by city folks, don't go carousing with them. Don't go down partying on a party bus with them. Don't go down to Mexico with them. Just let them do their own thing, as they say. And y'all know, all you folks, all you country folks, you know we're all just a little bit different than those folks that live in the city. They live so dang fast, talk so fast. Why, hell, out here in the county... It's just real slow. And we like it that way. And we damn sure don't like to spend any time in a Mexican jail. So Carl learned his lesson. He's going to stick with us country folks. When we go out and party, we party at a real low level. Listen to a little bit of music, drink a little bit of beer, do a lot of dancing. And just leave it at that. Now, before I go, the clock up there says, Billy Bob, you've been bumping your gums going on 28 minutes now, and you just running your mouth. You know, folks, when I start talking, I just can't stop, can I? I got so many dang stories inside of me and so much stuff going on down here in the county that I just got to tell you all what's going on. All you folks up there in Dallas and up there in Rochester, New York, and all you folks out there in Wyoming, people listen to the show, I figured you'd like to know what we're up to down, down here in South Texas. So I just, uh, you know, <laughs> I just get to going, just get to talking, and I just can't shut up. I'm like, why do they call those kind of people to call them? Motor mouse. That's what they call a motor mouse. I guess I'm a motor mouth. But heck, I don't care. I like to talk. I like to talk to you all. You're good listeners. And before we sign off today, it ain't going to be too long before this show is going to be featured on Freedom in America Internet Network. That's right. And they just broadcast all over the darn country. 
Supposedly our show's going to be on there in a short while, so y'all pay attention and I'll let you know when that happens. I dang sure will. So I got to sign off for today. Stop running my dang mouth. Maybe I can go in there and drink me an iced tea and shut up for a while. Just sit back in an easy chair and, oh, I don't know, read a book or something. Nah, I can't do that. I got so much work to do out in the, out on the property. I'm going to be out there most of the day. We're fixing to fix a bunch of the boards that popped up on my deck floor in the back, so I'm going to have to go out there and take care of that. But I'll be talking to you. I will, I promise. Me and Carl will be talking to you real soon. Probably in the next week or so. So you all out there take care. And make sure you take care of your families and your kids. By golly, that's all you got really when it comes down to it. You make sure you take care of your honor. And take care of everything that you've worked hard for. Nobody's going to have to replace it but you. Nobody else out there going to help you out. It's all on you. And that's the way I like it, right? That's the way you like it. Here I go bumping my gums again. Okay. Until next week, this is Billy Bob and Carl. He ain't said nothing today. I just passed along everything to you about his running around down in Mexico and stuff. But we'll get him to talk. We'll get old Carl to talk here pretty soon. So until the next time we talk, this is Billy Bob and Carl saying we'll be talking to you a little later on down the road. Adios. Well, that was Billy Bob and Carl. And they can spin a yarn. They get into so much dang trouble, ladies and gentlemen. Riding that darn party bus and going on down to Mexico and getting thrown in the hoose cow. All those uh, hairdressing women with all those different colored hairdos. And they go over to the city hall bar every Friday and Saturday night. And they get into a ruckus. They get into fights. They just get into a lot of trouble. Now, I know the sheriff down here in the county. And he says those two guys, Billy Bob and Carl... Every time he turns around, he's got to go get them doing something. They're always up to something. Now, I've got plenty of shows that they've done, and they ask if they could have some of those shows played on Friday or Wednesday or Thursday. And I said, yeah, I'll look at some of them, see what I can do. There's a show out there where they talk about throwing chicken bones under the neighbor's front porch, and there's another one where Carl... He sees his flying saucer landing out by the garbage can. And Carl runs into the what we know as Bigfoot down at the end of the fence post. There's, they, they're up to something all the dang time. So every once in a while, I'm going to play a song or maybe slide them in after that song on a Friday or maybe a Wednesday or maybe a Monday. Who knows? And eventually, these guys said, yeah, we're going to get back on the stick and they're going to be doing their own show come here in a little bit. But I don't know. They've been telling me that for almost a year now. They used to have a show regular on the GAL network. And they were on every darn, I think it was every Friday, half-hour show. 
And now all of a sudden they just dropped the ball, and I couldn't depend on them any anymore. They come still come into my darn studio and drink all my Lone Star beer and eat my Twinkies and cupcakes and uh, whatever's laying around, potato chips, Doritos. But they ain't been doing no shows. And I told them the other day, I said, "Y'all come into my studio and eat up all my stuff and drink my beer. You're going to have to start paying your way, and you're going to pay your way." By doing a Billy Bob and Carl show again. And they're sitting over there looking at me right now, smiling. Billy Bob, come here a minute. Now you promised me, you and Carl promised me that you'd be doing some more shows. When are you going to start? Can you tell me that? Well, I tell you what, Gary, you know... Last time we did a show, it was good. It was a long time ago, man. Why, well, no, it was. That's what I'm saying. You're drinking my beer, not doing any shows, not paying your way. But God will be doing it. I'm tired of hearing you bellyache about drinking your beer. We left you a $20 beer here, $20 beer here about, a, oh, I don't know, a month ago. Ain't that right, Carl? Yep. Yep, yep, we did. We left him a $20 bill right there on his desk. Well, yeah, I guess you did, but $20 bill don't go far when I'm supplying you with Doritos and beer and cupcakes and Twinkies and everything else. Anyway, folks, it's getting close to the hour. We're going to have to shut down the Gary Gatehouse radio show and I guess the Billy Bob and Carl show. <laughs> Already over there. Already back over there drinking more beer. Man, I don't get it. I guess I just got a soft heart. And I fork out money left and right. But these guys come down every damn day. But I tell you what, if I have to have some work done on my hot rod, tuning up a carburetor or something, they're down here doing it. So I guess I ain't got no complaints. Until Monday, I hope you all have a great day. Wherever you're at in God's big, beautiful world out there, whether you're uh, hanging your hat somewhere in the neck of the woods up there in Europe or over there in the United Kingdom, I'd like to give a big shout-out to my friend and mate over there, Mr. Stephen Lang, resides, hangs his hat in London, England, Restoration Radio International, and you can catch the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show on Restoration Radio International Radio every weekend where we play play or they play Billy Bob and Carl and Gary Gatehouse and all of us back to back the whole weekend don't miss us Restoration Radio International Google it and get on up there and listen bunch of great shows until Monday this is your radio host Gary Gatehouse talking to you all the way from South Texas on my big old microphone hoping we'll talk again real soon until Monday good day Hey!